we have just finished up we have just finished up what are called the beatitudes now the beatitudes are one liners that have been called by christian scholars to be the most profound words that have ever been spoken that's all and what we arrive at today is jesus is saying here is the result of a community of people that have taken hold of the promises that are given in the beatitudes and what you're going to find is that Jesus has an incredibly high view of these people, of these Christians who have taken hold of the truths that are found in these Beatitudes. Now, incredibly high. Now, here's what I want you to imagine. Imagine that there's a, a battle outside of this evil city. And outside of the evil city, there's a battle over good and evil, and the good guys are losing. And the, the commanders of this army go off to the side, and they're trying to figure out what to do. And one guy says, if we don't get out of here, we're done for. And the other guy says, yeah, I think we're doomed if we do not leave. And another guy says, but wait. There are ten of our men who have snuck inside of the city gates. They're going after the head guy. They're going after the guy to take all of this evil out. They are our hope. In fact, those ten men are the hope of the world. And the way that Jesus sees the Christian is like those people saw, those ten men. The very hope of the world. Now, Jesus is saying, when all hope is lost, don't worry, the Christians are there. When everything seems at its darkest, the Christians are there. Jesus seems to think that Christians are the world's most luminous fact, meaning this is a reality of the Christian that they are the hope of the world. Now, this is this is pretty arrogant claim of Jesus, unless it's true. And if it's true, that means if you're a Christian, you should hear what Jesus says today very seriously. And if you aren't a Christian, it's likely you're going to hear what's said today and you're going to think of people who have said, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. You're going to think, man, that doesn't sound like them. And that, that's okay because we're all failures to a degree to live up to who God has called us to be. But today Jesus invites us into something. He invites you to become who you really are. He's speaking to the Christian and he says, become who you really are. Now, I'm about to read this to you, and when I read this to you, here's how you have to hear this. This is the rally cry of Christ to the Christian up upon the mountain, giving you these words, giving you this rally cry of saying, become who you are. Become the hope of the world. Become salt and light. Let me read it to you. Here's what Jesus says. Up upon the mountain, speaking to those who have believed all that he has said leading up to this point, he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people, put a light, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, what we saw last week is that Jesus gives these promises to the Christian. 
And it's as if, as you hear these promises that are being made to you, it's as if you are being lifted up into the heavens and you are given glimmers of who God is and all that he's done for you and all of these promises. And it's this beautiful ecstasy and you're having this glimmer of who God is and it's amazing and it's marvelous. And then all of a sudden, God throws you back down upon the earth and he says, it's not time yet. I have a mission for you. You need to go and be the hope of the world. Now, the greatest honor that any person could be given is to be the one who introduces someone for the first time to God. I mean, to really meet with him, to meet the God of glory, beauty, and worth, and discover him. And the great unveiling is this. You know, someone has lost hope. And you have the honor and the privilege of pulling the veil back, pulling the curtain back for someone to see the glory, beauty, and worth of God and to then have hope again. But in order for that to happen, you've got to come out of hiding. And that's what Jesus is saying today. That we Christians, we Christians have been in hiding. The Christian is called the salt and the light. And here's what that means. I mean, it's, Jesus is offensive, and, and he says, the world that you know it, it's far worse than you realize. And see, here's, here's why. Here's how he's saying this. Salt and light. Do you know what salt is? Salt is a preservative, which means when something is decaying, salt stops the process of decay. Everything is naturally decaying. Food is decaying. Salt stops the process. It's a preservative. But also, salt, sodium chloride, it is essential for the survival of any living thing. Which means this, when, when he's saying you're the salt of the earth, he's saying that this world is in decay and it's running towards death. It's running to this like abyss of hell. And the Christian is the hope, the preservative, the, the one who stops the decay of humanity. That's all. <laughs> See, the Christian's still here because God has work for the Christian to do. And then, here's what happens. As soon as the attention is given to the Christian, they're stopping decay, they're stopping humanity from running into this abyss of darkness. Here's what happens. The Christian's life points someone to the glory of God, to the light of God, by being the light. Look at this. This is, where it's, this is what's confusing. So the Christian's being called the light of the world, but Jesus has already called himself the light of the world. Listen to this. And just before these verses, in Matthew 4.16, Jesus says, The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Did you hear that? Those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death a light has dawned. He's talking about himself. Later in John 8, verse 12, he calls himself the light of the world. Now, here's what's going on. Jesus is the light of the world. But the Christian is meant to work, to be in such a way to become the agent through which the light of God shines through them and off of them to the world around them. And how does this happen? 
See, because it's as if this is happening. It's as if the Christian is ripping a hole in the darkness of this world and shining the lights of heaven to come through. How's that happening? By the Christian's works, the way they're living. It's like the world around you is running to that decay, running into death, running into this abyss. And the Christian lives in such a way that it stops that person right in their tracks. It stops death in death's tracks. So death is like decay is happening. The Christian lives in such a way that stops people and they look. And then as they're looking at this person, the way that they're living, they're living in such a way that people are now looking to God because of the way that they're living their lives. Not by words yet, simply by the way that they're living, someone is discovering the glory of God. If you're a Christian, the way you're living ought to say, look up upon the mountain. The Son of God has come. Leave the darkness behind. Leave the decay behind. Follow Him. You are the, you are the hope of the world. It's, a, it's an astounding claim that Jesus is making. The beauty the worth of God. It's shining through the way that you live your life. At least that's the way it ought to be. Now, you know in movies or stories that you read, there's a hero. And you're drawn into this hero. Why are you drawn into this hero? Because he's inspiring you. Why is he inspiring you? Or she's inspiring you. Why? Because you are thinking to yourself, man, if I was in that situation, I hope that I would handle it just like that hero is doing. The challenge of Christ today is what does your, the story of your life point people to? How does God look based off of the way that you live your life? You're meant to be heroes that are pointing people to the greater hero who's up upon the mountain. So, The things that you're doing in your life are telling people what is important to you. And the things that you are doing in your life are telling people what's important. So look what it says. It says, let your light shine so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So Jesus made the religious leaders of his day famous. Do you know what he made them famous for? For being frauds. Because here's what they were doing. The religious leaders of Jesus' day they had a passion, they had a desire, not for God's glory, but for their own glory. And what they did is they did all of this good stuff in public for people to see them so that they might think that those people are so wonderful. Here's what he says. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And then he goes on to say that those who are practicing all this good stuff that they're doing, they're receiving their reward here and now. They're getting the glory, and God is not. So therefore, it ends right here with them. And here's the difference. The religious elite did what they did. They walked up on a stage, maybe similar to this, and said the things that they said for their glory and not for God's. 
But those who are the hope of the world do what they do so people will think that God is amazing. It's what's driving them. It's why they're doing the things that they're doing in their life. And now here we arrive at the great problem of the world. The greatest problem that the world has is me, you, we. We want glory. And here's what happens. As soon as we want that glory and we start working for that glory, it's as if if the gateway of evil opens up and evil begins to pour into this world. I mean, this is a huge problem. It's, It's the floodgates have been opened up because we want glory. And as soon as that happens, evil enters into the world. And what the Christian is called to do is to storm that evil city, kind of in secret, but not in secret, for the world to see, but for the world to see God, not them, for the world to see what they do and say, wow, isn't God amazing? But look at us. I mean, look at, look at how we live. Come on, it's not for God. We're doing it for us. And, you know, there's sometimes in our minds we say, oh, yeah, but I want to do this for God's glory. We say we want to do it for God's glory, but then something happens, and what we're really doing it is for our glory. And, and it, I mean, our attention, how could we be doing it for, for God's glory if our attention is on God so little? And, and when our attention does go to God, it's usually for this, so that we could say, God, can you give me this thing? Because if you would just give me this thing, then I would get the glory. I think we need to look at our prayers and ask ourselves, why are we praying this prayer? Is it really for God's glory or is it for me? And I think we're going to find that it's for us more often than we realize, but those who are the hope of the world, it's for God. And the problem of you seeking your own glory is actually a greater problem than you realize because even when you start thinking to yourself, oh, let me do this for God, your heart tricks you. You say you're going to do something for God, like maybe anything. Preaching a sermon, this could be an example. I could easily be doing this for my glory. So i got to constantly be checking my heart. Why am I doing the things that I'm doing? Right? So if it's easy to come up here, if the religious elite of the day were doing it for their glory, how easy it is for us to do the things that we're doing and do them for our own glory. So how do we actually do this? How do we live in such a way that is actually for God's glory? Because you want it. You want the glory. You want your kingdom, not God's kingdom. The answer is, the, the solution to the problem of the world is that we look up to the one that's on the mountain and we worship him. Humanity... Let me explain this here. Humanity in Genesis 1 is called the image of God. So this is what this means. We're like living, breathing mirrors. Now, whatever a mirror, what what defines a mirror is whatever the mirror is reflecting, which means that mirror is facing whatever is most important to that mirror, and that mirror reflects that thing out into the world. So as mirrors, whatever you think is the most important thing in your life, it's your everything, it's the thing that you treasure the most, that's the thing as a mirror you're looking towards, and that's the thing that you are reflecting out into the world. And the picture here is not individuals working for their own glory, but a community of people 
who see the glory of God look up to him and as mirrors reflect him out into the world. And that is what it means to be a city on a hill. It's the corporate image of God. And it's lights radiating the glory of God, the brilliance of God, meaning, here's what it means. There's someone running into the darkness. There's somebody running into an abyss. There's somebody running the wrong way, and they don't realize that they're running the wrong way. So you picture somebody, they're, they're out in the, this deep, dark forest. They can't see anything. But then off in the distance, they catch a glimmer of a light. And they're drawn to that light like a bug is drawn to a light. So they start walking towards that light and they get closer and it begins to shine brighter. And all of a sudden they come through the trees and they look up and they see a city that's on a hill. And they go up and they enter into that city. And what they find is that there are people that are there, not for their own glory, but there are people who are there who are looking up upon the mountain at the glory of their rescuer who has come for them. And this person, this outsider, this stranger comes into the city and they see that everybody is living their life in such a way that points up to God, like mirrors looking up at God, radiating to them this bright light. And so they look where everyone else is looking. And finally, they see the glory, the beauty, and the worth of God. And before, they had no idea what they were missing out, but now they know. But it took a city on a hill. People who did not care for their own glory, but cared for the, for the glory of the God that has rescued them. That's what it means to be the church in our city. Not a bunch of individuals wanting their own glory, not a bunch of individuals coming here on Sunday morning to, to find the next trick to having a more successful life, but people who have discovered the glory of God and wanting others to know it as well. It's like a light flashing up upon the mountain. Look to the mountain. Look to the one who's up there. And <laughs> Jesus says, if you don't become who you are, because he calls you salt and he calls you light. So you already are this. He says, but if you don't become that, he, he says something offensive to you. He says you're not good for anything and you might as well be trampled under people's feet. He says if you are, you are a light. He's saying come out of hiding though. And if you don't come out of hiding, then it's like you're wearing a basket on your head. So just look to the person next to you and say, stop being a basket head. Go ahead. I told you recently that one of the most tragic things that I see happen is people come here and, not period, people come here and, There you go. People come here and they're looking for God. They're looking for grace. They're looking for something. They know something's missing. They have desires that nothing in this world is satisfying. And so they're searching and they come here and they find God in a very real way. And they say, okay, I got what I wanted. I got what I needed. And then they're gone until they need again. Here's why that's tragic. Because that person is failing to become the salt and the light. Meaning, they got what they needed. They felt filled. Meanwhile, there's all these other people in the church who need what that person has discovered. But they're out. 
They're failing to become who they are, salt and light. Baskethead. The rally cry of Christ is come out of hiding. There's a book called The Rise of Christianity. It's written by a guy named Rodney Stark. And from my understanding, he's a sociologist, and my understanding is that he set out on this endeavor to figure out why Christianity became the, this small little movement became the greatest movement there has ever been. And he started off his research as an atheist. By the time he finished, he was a Christian, to my understanding. And here's what he found was one of the keys that started this movement. During this time, the Romans were killing Christians, throwing them into lions, and the plagues happened. And here's what the Romans did to their own people. The Romans did not want the plagues to catch throughout the whole city. So when someone would get sick, they would throw them outside of the city gates to die. And here's what happened. Christians came, Christian women came and nursed their enemies back to health. And these Roman citizens that have been persecuting, that have been killing Christians, were being nursed back to health by the same Christians, and they had now discovered a love that they had never found before, and it moved them. They had discovered the love of God, the glory of the love of God, and it changed them, and they became Christians. The same way the Romans would take their babies that had a birth defect, and they throw them into ditches. And the Christians came and scooped them up and raised them as their own. And these babies were raised to become Christians. They were, becoming, they were being salt and light. Mirrors reflecting God. Here's what happened. Their works proved that their faith was true and real. They found something. And it moved them to the core and it changed the way that they lived completely forever. Why did these Christians love people so well? Why did they help people who hated them and wanted to kill them? Because they heard the words coming from the one on the top of the mountain. Here's what they realized, and it's what you have to realize. It's what every Christian has realized, but is still trying to reorient their lives around believing to be true. And if you've never believed in Christianity, this is true of you as well. This is true of all of us to some degree. You feel rejected. You feel unloved. And you feel cast out of the city gates to die. You know how I know that? You know how I know that you feel that? You know how I know every single one of you have felt that and to some degree you still feel that? Because God's the only one who fixes this. Because until you have God, you know something is missing. Your, your spouse's love is never going to be enough. The glory of the light of their love will not be enough. You need a greater glorious love, and that comes from God. It doesn't diminish your spouse's love. It's just true. God's love for you is greater than your spouse's love. It really is. So you need a greater love. Your kids won't be enough. 
See, kids have a way of changing you. They have a way of stopping the decay in your life because you want to change. You have a purpose. You have a meaning that you didn't have before. You say, man, I've got this kid. I've got this little thing in my arms. I'm going to change now. And you do, and it works for a bit. But it's not enough. Your kids will not stop the decay. You need a greater preservative. You need better salt. It's not an insult to your kids. It's just a reality. God is greater than your kids. Your job won't be enough. Some of you are like, yeah, I already know that. Your boss maybe will fire you. Your employees will say things about you that you don't want them to say. No amount of success, power, or admiration is going to give you what you want. You want God. Your spouse's love is just a shadow of his, of the love of Christ. Your parents' love for you It's just a shadow of the love that you long for when you feel accepted by your Father in heaven. You need to see his glory, beauty, and worth. And as soon as you do, you say, okay, this is true. This is greater. This is a greater love than my spouse has for me. It's a greater love than I have for my kids. His love for you is greater. It is stronger. And until you realize, until you have seen his glory, beauty, and worth, you're not going to believe that's true. But when you see it, you believe it. And the way that the world realizes that is by us being salt and light, reflecting the glory of God. Once you see this, the glory, beauty, and worth of God, here's what happens. You go from feeling like an orphan to feeling like someone who's been adopted by the greatest parent there's ever been. You go from feeling like the girl who has never been loved to feeling like Cinderella at the ball. And you go from feeling like the kid who's on the playground that no one wants to play with him. And someone comes up and says, hey, you want to play? And you go from feeling like this Roman citizen who's been cast out to someone scooping you up and this baby that's been thrown into a ditch and then being scooped up into the loving arms of God. Here's what you realize. The one on the mountain has come for you. In Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, we're told that Jesus was crucified outside of the city gates. Meaning, he was crucified outside of the eternal city. Left to die, outside of the eternal city. He goes into death. He goes into decay. But he goes in salty. And he's preserved by his Father in heaven. So he enters into death. He enters into decay. He enters into the abysses of hell. But he's salty. And death can't hold him anymore. doesn't want to. So it spits him out because he's too salty. And he goes into the deepest of darkness. But he shines bright as a light. And, the death, and death cannot hold him. And so he is spit out by death. And as he rises up out of the grave... You see him and you worship him because you realize he has taken you and made you from an orphan to a son. He's made you go from unloved to finding the greatest love. And you realize that and you worship him. So, my friends, shine. Because that's what you are. The salt and the light that's meant to be the hope of the world. Become who you already are, who he's already made you to be.
You are the hope of our city. You are the hope of your workplace. You are the hope of your neighborhood. And our greatest problem is we don't really believe that's true, but Jesus does. And we're the hope because of what we're pointing to. So let's be that hope. I'm praying for us. Father, we pray now that you would awaken in us who we are, who we've become in you by faith. We pray, God, that you would not let us spend another second wasting our life away. God, come and fight for us. As we run from you, fight for us. Fight us as we fight against you, God, so that you might win us over to you. God, and as we're wrestling with our doubt, pray that you would win. And God, the parts of us that fear going to you, shine the glory of your love towards us so we might have hope and that hope might be assured into a faith and that faith might be turned into an action where we come running towards you and we become the salt and the light to the people around us who are so desperately in need of you. And God, let us be humbled by the arrogant claims that have been made about us. But let us not see them as arrogant because they're true. But let it humble us, God, and let, us, let it draw us into action on your behalf. God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.